Good morning, and welcome to Current Radio. It's Friday, January 19th. Today we're covering the Oilers' record-tying win streak and USF's stunning comeback against number 10 Memphis. Plus, we'll discuss Kucherov's career milestone of 500 assists and the upcoming reveal of the 2026 World Cup final venue on February 4th. This coverage and more, up next. Welcome to Current Radio's Sports Station. Please enjoy today's selection of sports news. In a thrilling game of hockey, the Edmonton Oilers rallied to beat the Seattle Kraken 4-2, extending their winning streak to a franchise record 12 games. This ties the record for the longest winning streak by a Canadian team set by the 1967-68 Montreal Canadiens. Let's bring in our sports analyst, Helena, to discuss this further. Helena, what can you tell us about this game? Well, Stephen, it was a fantastic performance from the Oilers. Warren Fogley scored two goals, and Leon Dre Seidel contributed with a goal and three assists. The Oilers have been on a roll, going 23-0 in their last 23 games. They've shown an incredible ability to come from behind, doing so eight times during this 12-game streak. That's impressive and it seems like their goaltender, Stuart Skinner, played a crucial role in this game as well. Absolutely, Stephen. Skinner stopped 25 shots, and his performance was praised by Fogley, who emphasized the importance of a strong goaltender. But it's not just about individual performances. The team's composure and ability to stay in the game until the end has been a key factor in their winning streak, according to defenseman Matthias Ekholm. Now, the Kraken had a 2-0 lead initially. What went wrong for them? Well, the Kraken started strong with Ely Tolvanen and Jared McCann scoring to give them a 2-0 lead. However, their coach, Dave Haxtell, pointed out that they weren't as sharp as they needed to be in the second period, which cost them. Despite a good start, they weren't able to capitalize and ended up losing their third game in a row. And how did the Oilers manage to turn the game around? The Oilers' comeback started 37 seconds into the second period when Fogelay scored his eighth goal of the season. They then drew even on the power play when Dre Seidel scored his 22nd of the season. The Oilers added a third goal in a seven-minute span when Fogelay scored again. They sealed the game with 2.38 remaining when Connor McDavid set up Zach Hyman for an easy power play tap-in. It sounds like a thrilling game. Thanks for your insights, Helena. In a surprising turn of events, the number 10 Memphis Tigers were stunned by South Florida, who rallied from a 20-point deficit to win 74-73. Cassian Pryor made the go-ahead free throw with just four seconds left. Helena, this is quite a shakeup, isn't it? Absolutely, Stephen. This is a significant upset. South Florida managed to end a 10-game winning streak for the Tigers, who hadn't lost since early December. Pryor finished with 21 points and 10 rebounds, while reserve Selton Miguel led USF with 23 points. This win is a big deal for South Florida. Indeed. And this isn't just any win. South Florida became the fourth team since 2010-11 to come back from 20 points down to beat an AP top 10 opponent. That's quite a feat, isn't it? It certainly is, Stephen. And it's even more remarkable considering they're the first unranked team to do so since February 2011. This victory also snapped the Bulls' 38-game losing streak to AP-ranked opponents. It's a momentous occasion for the team and for coach Amir Abdurrahim. Speaking of Abdurrahim, he was doused with a celebratory bucket full of water when he entered the post-game locker room. He said, It's not about us. 
It's about the University of South Florida. Quite a humble statement, wouldn't you agree? Definitely, Stephen. Abdurrahim is emphasizing the collective achievement here. It's a great win for the University of South Florida and a testament to the hard work of the players. But let's not forget the dramatic finish. With the score tied at 73-all, Pryor took an inbound pass alone in the paint and was fouled. He made the first free throw but missed the second, which was enough to secure the victory. And Javon Quinterly, who hit two game-winning three-pointers during Memphis's winning streak, had a chance to do it again, but this time he missed a three at the buzzer. Helena, what does this loss mean for Memphis? This loss is a wake-up call for Memphis. They led 52-32 early in the second half, but USF responded with a 9-0 run and kept inching closer. Memphis coach Penny Hardaway said it was a bad loss and suggested that complacency might have set in. This game serves as a reminder that no lead is safe in basketball, and every team needs to play hard until the final buzzer. A valuable lesson indeed. Thanks for your insights, Helena. Now in NHL news, the Tampa Bay Lightning secured a victory against the Minnesota Wild last night with a score of 7-3. Nikita Kucherov, the Lightning's star player, had a standout performance with three assists, reaching a career milestone of 500 assists. Helena, our sports analyst, is here to break down the game. Helena, what can you tell us about Kucherov's performance? Steven, Kucherov's performance was nothing short of spectacular. He leads the league with 75 points, and this was his fourth game this season with three or more assists. He achieved this milestone in his 688th game, making him the third fastest to reach this mark among active players, behind only Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby. That's quite an achievement. And I understand that Kucherov's milestone assist came on Steven Stamkos' power play goal, which also marked a milestone for Stamkos, correct? That's right, Steven. Stamkos' power play goal was his 205th career power play goal, tying him with Joe Sakic for 16th all-time. It's clear that the synergy between Kucherov and Stamkos is a significant factor in the Lightning's success. And it wasn't just Kucherov and Stamkos who had a good game. Victor Hedman also contributed with a goal and three assists, correct? Absolutely, Stephen. Hedman, along with Walteri Morella, Braden Point, Stamkos, and Michael Isamont, all scored for the Lightning. Andre Vasilevsky also had a solid game, finishing with 30 saves. It was a well-rounded team performance that led to their season-best fourth consecutive win. On the other side, the Minnesota Wild seemed to be struggling. What went wrong for them in this game? Well, despite Jake Middleton's goal and two assists and goals from Joel Erickson Eck and Marco Rossi, the Wild just couldn't keep up with the Lightning's offensive onslaught. They've now fallen to 2-8-2-1 in their last 11 games. It's a tough period for them, and they'll need to regroup and find a way to turn things around. Indeed, it's a challenging time for the Wild. Thanks for your insights, Helena. It will be interesting to see how both teams progress from here. Now, for all the football fans out there, FIFA has announced that the match schedule for the 2026 World Cup, which will be hosted by the United States, Mexico, and Canada, will be unveiled on February 4th. But there's more to this story. Helena, can you fill us in on the details? Absolutely, Stephen. As part of this announcement, FIFA will also officially reveal the site for the final match. Sources have confirmed that the choice has been narrowed down to AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, and MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. However, despite recent reports suggesting Arlington, Dallas had been selected, ESPN sources say that neither potential host has been officially notified of a decision. 
so there's still some suspense around where the final will be held. What's the sentiment like in the potential host cities? Well, Monica Paul, the executive director of the Dallas Sports Commission, expressed optimism about their chances of hosting the final. They're actively working with FIFA leadership to prepare for the largest FIFA World Cup to date. On the other hand, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, while under the impression that MetLife Stadium is still in contention, estimated the odds of hosting the final as being around 50-50. And with the tournament expanding to 48 teams for the first time, there are quite a few host regions involved, correct? That's right, Stephen. There will be 16 host regions across the three countries. In the U.S., we have cities like Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, Miami, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, the San Francisco Bay Area, and Seattle. Mexico will have Guadalajara, Mexico City, and Monterey, and Canada will have Toronto and Vancouver. It's going to be a truly international event. We'll be eagerly waiting for the February 4th announcement, which will be televised by Fox and Telemundo in the U.S., and will include host city match allocations for the 104 matches. Thanks for the update, Helena. Now that wraps up our stories for today. We appreciate you listening to Current Radio and look forward to having you back here tomorrow.